Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Horns Up. I'm Animesh and I'm Peter. And Peter, we've had quite a good last week, quite a tiring last week too, but uh, this was something that we aren't really complaining about. Definitely not, man. And that's because we got Devin Townsend, we got Pliny, we got Control All Delete. It was a weekend full of gigs. Yeah, long weekend for me, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you attended like almost all four days. No, three out of four days, and my knees are kind of like. <laughs> 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 we be getting old, my friend. We be I getting old. Hashtag getting old. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's uh, talk about the one that I really enjoyed a lot. I enjoyed it as much as you and I would probably say this has been the highlight for me for the past few years to be honest. Yeah, I think it would fit into that kind of category for me. Of course, we are talking about the Devon Townsend gig. It was a very private, very intimate gig which was set up at the Levi's Lounge in Bombay. Only around 60 people or so. Yeah. I think even fewer than that. And I don't really have any words to describe it other than magical inspirational and um yeah yeah i'm i'm still speechless about how to describe the sheer energy and good vibes that devin gave out yeah i mean just to put it into context uh when it was announced and when devin uh, tweeted it out i think it, all the metalheads in india were kind of like what devin's playing in where and Levi's lounge in Bombay and then you realized it you know he's kind of doing this as part of a tour so we would be one of the first few to witness because for anyone who knows uh, Devin Townsend he's known for strapping young lad he's known for his Devin Townsend project and you know ocean machine and all casualties of cool all the different projects no one's ever kind of seen him in an acoustic avatar well he has been doing acoustic gigs off and on over the last i don't know quite a few years very especially after the release of key yeah and the release of ghost and the release of casualties he has been doing acoustic gigs um but yeah i didn't expect him to come down here to do this gig thank god he had that delhi wedding to yeah, go yeah, to yeah. and he managed I mean, to sh- managed to like do this Uh, and saw this opportunity to do a gig hats off to him for recognizing that <laughs> yeah it, okay, who would have thought like somebody getting married in india would be the catalyst for devin playing a gig <laughs> yeah okay so here's what happened at the gig this was an acoustic gig unlike any other i've been to because um from roughly 2 hours it was just devin sharing his life with us through songs and it's not even as if this was a planned setlist we could see the gears churning in his mind as to what song to play next because it was so organic and so loose he was uh, not only taking requests f- from the audience as to which song to play next but he was doodling on his guitar a lot he was trying to figure out what to play next he was trying to figure out parts that he had forgotten yeah um, and, and it, it was a very stripped down kind of It was as if we were sitting in his studio in Vancouver, man. Yeah, That's it was. Yeah, it was vibe. more of a fireside chat. Yeah, rather than a gig, yeah. and I think that worked really well because you get to you get to spend quality time with the artist whom everybody in that room was a fan of. Definitely, it was This basically let's get to know Devin better by asking him questions, and he proceeds to tell stories. 
and in the middle here and there are songs and of course holy shit it's like we heard uh, uh, the most possibly one of the heaviest renditions of love yeah <laughs> in a completely acoustic format <laughs> for me that was the surprise of the night i mean you know you come in with the thing that you know devin's recorded mfat so we kind of speculated that he we would hear a bit of it i even ch- called out and said play genesis and he said he hadn't <laughs> learned it as yet and then suddenly he breaks out into love and i was like wow okay i have to br- take out my camera and record this cuz this is going to always be in my memory yeah oh my god that um love was excellent deadhead was superb yeah. I, i never thought it could be pulled off acoustically but he did it um of course he did the acoustic songs which were ea and stuff but overall damn and the whole crowd joining in to sing uh, super crush yeah <laughs> <laughs> that that was a lot of fun man <laughs> it, w- it was like devin townsend karaoke heavy metal karaoke with devin townsend <laughs> but on acoustic guitar yeah on acoustic guitar and that acoustic sound i've like Sure, Devin's known for his wall of sound approach, but I didn't think that would translate to an acoustic setting. And yet, he managed to do that too. Yeah. I haven't heard an acoustic guitar sound that good in a long, long time. I don't know. Maybe it's just me fanboying over this. Yeah. We're we're we're, we're big total fanboys. Yeah, total fanboys. Um, Devin coughed at me. Yay! <laughs> uh, no, but I did manage to snag a plectrum, and yeah. uh, all of us got pictures. So yeah. that was completely cool. worth. worth the money um it sucked that devin had a cold but here's the best thing about it he didn't really tune down his energy that much yeah. because of his cold and we saw how progressively worse his voice kept getting and how much it was bothering him damn those two hours friday night last friday night yeah it's it's been etched into memory i think yeah. it's one of the most positive memories uh, of course yeah over the last year or so definitely the no, fobir was dab strange like just you know for half the gig i was kind of comprehending that you know i'm actually watching devin stonesit play <laughs> in front of me like less than 5 feet away yeah and uh, i actually got a ghost cd so got him to sign it that was really cool <laughs> and at some point i just blabbered something so <laughs> if you're listening to this sorry devin fanboys here yeah total fanboys <laughs> i actually went up to him and asked him hey devin can i hug you and he let <laughs> and he let me do that <laughs> yeah so it was that kind of fanboying gig yeah. anyways that was devin townsend lovely to talk about it yeah. we could have done a podcast with him but uh, we chose not to i think we would have blabbered like 100 times more than this and we would talk about everything else other than music because yeah surprisingly that's that's something that he enjoys doing a lot too he doesn't like talking about his music yeah so hopefully you know the, the main thing i'm taking out of it is something he said that he would love to come down with the band so whichever promoter has a big heart Boy, <laughs> and a bigger Devin Townsend fanboy than both of us put together. <laughs> Please yeah. bring him down. Yeah, yeah. Although it'll be weird now, right? Like with with the uh, empath, it won't be. It's it's certainly not going to be the Devin Townsend project. Yeah, but I think he's already got. Uh, he does have gigs yeah, lined up already. Yeah, he right? has gigs, so he probably has a band. Is he doing three together. drummers on those gigs as well? I'm not sure. 
It'll be cool to see Anup Shastri with him because I've already seen Anup play with uh, Sky Hour. So yeah, we kind of cool. And well, you know, we are Indian, so we can always leech off that Indian connection. <laughs> Don't get any ideas. Okay, sorry for that. So that was Devin, but the night before, Peter actually managed to catch another instrumental prodigy. This time, it was an Australian. He's only 26 years old. What did you make of Pliny? Man, if Devin blew my mind the night before, Pliny blew my mind with his instrumental music, man. I have never seen Tony Mill Social that packed. How many people? I would say 400 people. Into that space? Yeah. It must be like a Virar local, man. Trust me, it was not the most comfortable gig. Mm-hmm. But I didn't see anyone complaining. Okay. Unlike if you've seen the viral video that went of Pliny from Brutal Assault, there was no wall of love or wall of death. But it was everybody just kind of in awe. And it wasn't just Pliny. That was one of the things I really enjoyed about the entire performance that he did okay it wasn't just about him but it was the entire band and compared to most instrumental music which you know on the record yes sounds a bit uh, sterile and stuff like that this was completely different and again if you've heard or you're a fan of Pliny mm-hmm. you n- kind of hear his music the kind of emotion that it kind of brings out live it was 10 times more man and I really enjoyed it I mean I'm going to, of course, use the cliched Indian term that we always used to use on the forums. Feel hair. And that's exactly <laughs> it, man. There was feel in that music. You could feel the emotion. You could feel each note the way they were playing it. And one thing I must note that most bands that I've watched over the past few years always keep their favorite or their most popular song for the end and the, and end, the encore. Yeah. yeah. Pliny played Salt and Charcoal, a song which has, I think, easily more than a million views or streams, first up. And I was like, whoa. And it kind of grabs you by the neck and, you know, it just keeps stopping. They did a drum solo bit, so it was really nice that, you know, he kind of acknowledged the rest of the band. Did he bring along musicians with him or was yeah, it yeah, a so local so setup? So, so it's a four-piece uh, band, including uh, Pliny. Okay. And the rest of the guys, I don't want to give too much uh, from what we spoke to him. But, you know, all of them experienced musicians, you can really tell. I mean, if you think about it, it is also, if you, since you've played uh, Animesh at mm. Tori Mills, it can be quite intimidating to have 400 people in Tori Mills social and, you know, kind of in your face. But this had a complete different vibe uh, to it. And compared to most of the gigs I've seen over there, which has been a little more boisterous and stuff like that, uh-huh. this was still far more... And I guess it's also the people that came uh, down uh, for the gig. So overall, it was a great night. I enjoyed myself a lot. Uh, yeah, the next morning I did regret it a bit. But yeah, man. Here's a left field question for you. Because this gig was at Tori Mills. So having played at Tori Mills two or three times now, I've learned that the biggest indicator of whether your music is or whether your gig is going well or not is to check if the bartenders are into the music or not. Because what happens is the bartenders are exposed to gigs every day. So if if the bartenders aren't bobbing their heads along or aren't enjoying themselves, then that means it's not cutting with anybody. Okay. 
Yeah. Did you happen to look I at the bartenders? Even, man, I couldn't even see the bartenders, let alone get to the bar. I'm telling you, it was that packed. At some point, I was a little worried for the people who were on the upper level. Uh-huh. And uh, some of them were close to like power sources and stuff like that. So I was Ouch. like, Ouch, this is not, this will not end well if it goes downhill from here. But, you know, I'm glad things went off smoothly. Uh, it was cool to see Pliny at the the Devon Townsend uh, gig the next day mm-hmm. and uh, he also had a pretty great time he said his words it was ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> all right okay so fantastic gigs we did attend control all delete too but uh, we aren't going to talk about that in this very episode and that's because we actually managed to get some time to talk to Pliny and interview him and just basically you know shoot the breeze with him um relatively good fun conversation we talk a lot about his journey we talk a lot about his professional life as a musician now and how that's affecting him and there may be a hint or two about what's next on Pliny's radar too so let's get into that conversation here's Pliny on Horns Up so we are outside 30 Social in Bombay. It's a pleasant evening and more importantly, we have with us Australian guitarist extraordinaire, Pliny. Hello. Welcome to Horns Up, mate. Thank you. So the nicest thing is first, uh, how's India treating you so far? Uh, the Bangalore gig was a sold out gig. Yeah. How, do, how is that show go? Uh, I think we all, we all realized we were just eating in the venue like an hour ago and realized that India is one of the best places to tour because I guess... We, I mean, we experience a lot of the crazy stuff, driving through traffic and all that, but we don't live here, so we just get this short taste of, like, the best food, amazing crowds, amazing hospitality. Um, and, yeah, last night was, like, perfect example of that. One of the best crowds I've ever played to in my life. Um, all the venue staff are amazing. Promoters are really nice. It's just, yeah, good times. Is the Indian crowd significantly different from any of the crowds you've played at around the world? What makes um, us different? Definitely. I think the closest thing uh, to an Indian crowd that I've experienced is a Spanish or Italian crowd. If you just imagine someone, like a group of people who are really passionate about a football game, it's like the same feeling to us, just people going nuts for everything. It's like drummer drops a stick and 500 people are like, yes! That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It's great to hear that India is treating you well. Yeah. Uh, it's the least we can do since our cricket team is whooping your cricket team's ass. I don't care at cri- <laughs> about cricket at all, so yeah, you can have that one. <laughs> all right. So, so you know, the horns up is mainly about not only the present but also how you got here in the yep. past, also. So, just let's rewind uh, a few years ago. How did it all began for you? Like, do you come from a musical family? How did you get into music? Um, yeah, my dad is an upright bass player and a music teacher, but it was probably my mum that got me into more music. Uh, I'm not sure why. I guess just driving around, she would put on like the Beatles and Michael Jackson and stuff like that. When I was, I think, four years old, I decided I wanted to play drums. Um, I really wanted to be like Ringo from the Beatles. Oh, wow. Um, so I played drums for a few years, but we moved to a smaller place where I couldn't make so much noise, and then I had to give up the drums, and I wasn't good at all. Um, I wasn't even as good as Ringo. And then I had... I've said that joke in a few interviews, but I'm proud of it. Um, I had a ukulele, or I guess the family had a ukulele, which I played until it broke. And then I had the choice to get a new ukulele or a guitar, so I got a really cheap 
three-quarter scale acoustic guitar and started playing like Green Day and Oasis and what everyone plays and then eventually started recording it. Um, I think this would have been when we got our first uh, laptop that had like a built-in webcam mic. So I would record acoustic guitar into the webcam mic in GarageBand, which is like the free Mac software, and then put distortion on it. And that was like my first experience of recording rock music. And it sounded like shit, but it was a lot of fun. And then when I was, I think my 11th birthday, I got my first cheap Strat electric guitar, um, which was 15 and a half years ago. And I guess I've been playing electric guitar for that long now. Um, eventually started trying to learn more about recording. Um, at this point, I was plugging, I was using a regular instrument cable into an adapter that would go into the webcam mic input. Yeah. And like anyone who records knows you're meant to use an interface sound card sort of thing to get the everything right. And I didn't do that, but it was still fun. Uh, eventually got more professional and started to buy some gear and got more serious about home recording and then started releasing music just for free on the internet uh, probably six or seven years ago. Um, then went to university, studied architecture, graduated that after working in architecture for a little while and decided I didn't want to do that full-time straight away. So I got together a band, played a show, show went really well, turned into an Australia tour. And then we've kind of just been doing laps of the world ever since. So <laughs> but just to wind back uh, a yeah. little bit to what you said, while you were, you know, still figuring out the recording and, you know, getting yourself your first guitar and stuff like that, what are the artists or guitarists that really inspired you at that time? Um, so once I, oh, this sounds insulting, but upgraded from Blink-182 and Green Day, um, I guess I started to get into metal, so I found obviously Metallica and stuff like that, and then Lamb of God, Mastodon, Gojira, Protest the Hero, Meshuggah, Dillinger Escape Plan, um, and at the same time I also found Dream Theater, which meant uh, like Steve Vai, Joe Satriani, Ingve, and all the like crazy shred guitarists as well. And so that was when I was getting really into playing guitar and writing music, it was sort of that popular metal and like sort of prog metal and all the iconic guitarists that I was listening to. All right. Uh, you touched upon this. Let me bring it back. Yep. When did you realize that you could do music as a full-time gig? Was it like an epiphany? Did you find your calling or something of that sort? Um, not really. I think I'm still skeptical whether I can because maybe the next songs I write are terrible and I can no longer do this. But... Um, when I played my first gig and the guarantee for the show was more than I would get paid in a day at my architecture job, I was like, that blew my mind. I mean, I still lost a hell like a lot of money because you have to rent gear and pay a band and all that stuff. But just the fact that I could play music and be paid for it was, I think that was definitely an epiphany. Um, but since then, I just kind of take it as it comes and we'll see what happens. And how would you describe the whole transition from, you know, recording in your bedroom uh, to playing across the world? What would that, how would you describe that f entire journey? Um, insane, I guess. 
Yeah. Um, it, it was really helped because the band that I play with are all professional musicians, so they've all been in bands for years, played tons of shows. Um, so when we did our first show, rather than having four scared people who didn't know what they were doing, there was just me and then three professionals. And so that's like a 75% good band straight away. And I'm sort of slowly catching up to them. Um, and yeah, I guess we're all super passionate about making good music. So everyone's always trying to play as well as possible and put on a good show. So I don't really have to worry about that. And we're all good friends, so it's fun. All right. Uh, you've been quite prolific in the last five years, releasing almost a um, new piece of music or a new body of work almost each year. Yeah. Uh, how has being and performing on the road uh, changed your writing or your creation process, if at all? Um, maybe one thing I've noticed is the music that I write now compared to before I'd ever played live seems to work better live uh, more immediately. So taking a song that I'd recorded and like where I'd written the drums and the bass and all that um, to turn it into a, a live song took more work in the beginning, whereas now for some reason we'll get together and play the song like the recording and it just feels good straight away. Do you test out new material to for an audience on your sh in your shows? Um, I guess so. I mean, we put in the set list and then play it and then Usually it's terrible the first time, but then as we get more comfortable, it becomes more comfortable. Okay, so n no overt major changes to your writing process then? Um, no, not really. I think the process is generally that I'm just trying to make the best possible music I can. And I guess what's changed is I've learnt more, um, which means hopefully the stuff I write in the future is going to be different to in the past and also when I'm writing now if I n notice that I'm doing something very similar to something I've already done it makes me a little bit uneasy because I want to be changing. Do you get curious when you're traveling? Like for example you're traveling in different parts of the yep. world and you're being exposed to radical new cultures almost yeah. every month. Uh, do you look out for so uh, sounds or music patterns which then you can get inspired by or influenced by? Um, yes. I think if we had more time in India, I'd, oh, there's a little cat. I definitely want to try and see as many local bands as possible in all genres. Um, but I guess the reality of touring is that there really isn't that much time in a day to do that. So instead, I mean, I get to experience like the food and coffee culture of different places. That's probably what I do the most besides the actual just setting up and playing. All right. Okay, I want to talk a little business with you now. Yep. Uh, now, you've been doing this at a time when the music industry has kind of accepted the power of the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what it can, what the internet does to really, you know, bring in fans, listeners, those who back you with their money um, in any shape or form, yep. right? Um, what have you learned about the business of music and how much of your time do you devote to that aspect? Um... I'm not sure exactly, but I'm sure it's at least 50-50, or it's probably more business than making music, just because there's so much stuff all the time. Um, one thing I've noticed from doing everything myself is that most people in the music industry don't necessarily know what they're doing, which is kind of comforting. Um, 
and which I think should be inspiring for anyone who's starting out because it's all totally within reach. It's not like you need to be born with the ability to, I don't know, read a contract or something. Um, what was the question? Uh, how much of your time are you spending on it then? Okay, l let me ask you a follow-up then. Even yeah. something you know, trivial as managing social media yeah. or checking uh, YouTube or Spotify for yeah. the amount of plays, tracking your music there, right down to gate sales or merch sales. Uh, what's your level of involvement given that, the, uh, given that at the end of the day, uh, it's your brand yeah. that is being sold as the experience, right? Yeah. Not that it's more of an individual than the band itself. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I put 100% of my time into it. I think I like photography and I like that aspect of social media um, which makes keeping like Instagram and Facebook active not so much work. Like I have friends who make music where the idea of having to post something on social media is annoying because they're like, all right, I've got to get this thing. I have to figure out what I'm going to write. And then it can take like half an hour to just announce a tour or announce an endorsement or something like that. But I'm a little more comfortable with it. Although I have noticed... Uh, that there is now a formula for announcing a tour, which I do, and it makes me hate myself, which is basically country, exclamation mark, can't wait to come back, flag of the country emoji, um, insert some sentence that's going to make this tour special compared to the last tour, and then ticket link. And, like, every time I do this, it's like, India, can't wait to come back and play my new EP in full, Indian flag, ticket, emoji. I think you should update your LinkedIn or whatever with copywriter also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but then I guess that whole side of the music industry is something I just find funny because there's so much like the need for everything to constantly have hype. Like this is going to be my biggest and smallest and quietest and loudest release ever. And it's like, uh, cool. But yeah. So but yeah, so to answer the question, I spend a lot of time on that side of things, but I guess trying to have fun with it. Right. So since you brought up uh, your release, I mean, you're touring uh, in support of uh, your latest EP, yep. Sunhead, which released last year. And if you, when I was looking at the statistics for Salt and Charcoal, you have over half a million streams just on YouTube for the song. Yeah. Were you expecting the kind of reaction to that track? Um, not necessarily. I don't know. YouTube's kind of weird because some of the stuff I've put on has like almost millions of views and then others are less than 100,000. But I don't, I don't really care. I just kind of do it because I like it and then see what happens. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's great. I'm very happy. <laughs> Wait, another question about the EP. Uh, on this uh, release, more than others, you've got quite a few collaborators. Yep. On. You've got uh, Devesh Dayal, our homeboy uh, yeah. from Sky Harbor. You've got John Vaughn. Uh, you've got Tim Miller. Uh, how, d how does the whole collaboration process happen with you? Uh, they're all friends. Like They're all people who, first and foremost, I just really like. Like If, we, if they were sitting here with us, we'd be having fun. That's kind of like criteria number one. Criteria number two, they're fucking incredible at whatever they do. And I guess criteria three, they are all amazing at something that I can't do. So Devesh is really into like pop EDM production. 
and that's why I got him to do those kind of like EDM vocals on Salt. Um, and I mean that that whole thing was just kind of funny because I had the song almost finished and I could sort of hear that that part would work. Uh, and it was about 1am and I just texted him. He was in, he would have been in LA, which is five hours ahead, but the day before, it doesn't really matter. So it would have been 6am for him and he was awake, I think, producing a song. Um, and I was like, hey dude, you want to put some vocals on this song? And he's like, yeah. I was like, all right, I'll send it to you. And then I was like, actually, wait, I'm going to go to sleep and then I'll send it to you. And then he was like, okay. And I was like, actually, no, I'll send it to you now. And then he was like, okay. And then I sent it to him, went to sleep, woke up, and he'd sent me basically the whole thing. Um, and it just, it wasn't meant to be serious, but now I guess I've committed that to life forever. Um, and yeah, same story with the rest of them. John, I met because my sound guy grew up with him in the UK and he's obviously an amazing sax player. Um, Tim Miller I met at a music convention uh, and Ola Strandberg who makes the guitars that I play uh, met him at the convention because he was walking past and knew that I loved him so brought me over to meet him and then I found out that he teaches at Berkeley Music School and had had a bunch of students learning my songs with him. Wow. So I guess that was like my easy way in with him. And then Anomaly who played keys, sort of similar story, just met friends of friends, really nice guy, amazing keyboard player. And I just wanted to do something with him. Okay. Uh, have you begun writing for your next block of music that's going to be released? Any news that you can share with us on that front? Uh, I got three songs that are maybe 80% done and six-ish that are maybe 20 or 30% done. I definitely want to make an album. I don't know how many songs. Um, but after this tour and then a US tour, I'm pretty much home for the rest of the year. So I'm just going to work on that and see what happens. Any collaborations this time around that you're probably angling for? Uh, yes, I haven't figured out exactly who, but yes. So, some musicians listening to this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, um, but they will be the best and biggest collaborations to date. <laughs> Keshav Dar, are you listening? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you you alluded to the tour, so I'm just going to ask you about that. You're heading uh, on your North American tour later this month. Yep. Uh, what are you looking forward to the tour? I mean, you alluded a little bit earlier also to how much you enjoy touring yeah. the States and stuff like that. What are you looking forward from this? Um, so one of the acts on the tour is Mestiz, which is Javier from Animals as Leaders. And when I first started touring, I went to Europe, the States and Australia with Animals. And then in the last year, I've done Europe and Australia with Mestiz. So it's kind of awesome that this will be basically my sec the end of my second world tour with Harv. Um, so I'm, like he's super fun to travel with, so that'll be great. Um, it's the first time I'm touring with a keyboard player in my band, so that's really exciting because he's incredible, Dave McKay. Um, I mean, we're playing a really fun set. It's probably my favorite set that we've ever done. Now I'm starting to sound like a press release. <laughs> but um, yeah, and it's uh, touring the states has become sort of familiar. Like I've got a merch guy and a driver and a tour manager that I've 
been around the States for three or four times and even just like where we keep the honey in the cupboard is like super familiar now. Right. Um, just to kind of wrap up with a few fun questions yeah. <laughs> we got up. So we I was just looking at your tour in the last or while doing research for this and I realized you've put out an album or an EP yeah. uh, almost every year. You're touring so much. Where do you have time to sleep or do you? Um, this tour is actually one of the worst for sleep just because there's so much flying and driving. But usually I sleep quite a lot. Um, although I need to stop charging my phone next to my bed because I usually wake up and then just snap upright and start emailing people. Um, but I guess, yeah, the benefit of doing something that I find really fun is that I can be kind of working every minute that I'm awake and it's all right. Although I might burn out, but hopefully not. Okay. From bedroom to touring around the world, you're uh, living the life that many young musicians only dream about, right? Uh, what was it like to meet your heroes if you've met any of them and any fun stories of first time meetings? Because there's some proverb, right? That uh, yeah, never meet, your, yeah, hero. never yeah. meet your heroes. I mean, I've been really lucky in that everyone that I've met and idolized has been really nice. Um, I'm trying to think of a good story. The first time I met Steve I, I felt like a child in school. Um, he's incredibly nice and humble, but I just still felt like, or maybe like a kid at a dinner table with adults, like just really didn't want to say the wrong thing or like fuck up in any way. Um, but he was really sweet. Um, a lot of the people that I grew up listening to that I've met, like Guthrie Govan, um, it's more hilarious to think about after hanging out with him like meeting him was like meeting you guys just like we feel like old friends um but then thinking about it like a week later it's like we went on some stupid night out in sydney when the aristocrats were there and if you'd told me that like 10 years ago i was going to take my favorite guitarist in the world to one of the worst bars in sydney and just talk shit about everything I wouldn't have believed it at all. Do you do selfies or autographs? Uh, for money. <laughs> no, I meant like with uh, with your heroes. That, I mean, that's a, yeah, I guess that's a funny thing is on the one hand, I'm trying to enjoy it and not be weird so I can see them again, kind of like a first date. Um, but on the other hand, I guess, yeah, like the business side of me is like this would like be fire on Instagram. What about the fan in you? The fan in me is usually enjoying the experience more than needing to share it with someone else. But yeah. Okay. Uh, final question. Yep. At 26, you're still fairly young, man. Thank you. Where do you see yourself in the next five years and in the next 10 years? Um, hopefully doing something similar, but on a slower and larger scale, I guess. Like rather than spending half the year or more touring Maybe I could do a quarter of the year, but bigger shows. Not because I really want to play to more people. Like, I enjoy any size show, but I'd like to, I guess, like, always have a keyboard play or maybe play with a six-piece band or a seven-piece band. Um, and so to be able to do that, and it's as economically viable as touring half the year, that'd be cool. Um, still being inspired to write music. Yeah. 
so generally when we do interviews we yeah. ask uh, we ask our guests to pick one song that defines their previous album ep mm -hmm. or defines them at the moment yeah um so plenty from your discography is there anything that you'd like to leave our listeners with uh, maybe electric sunrise cool so here you go <laughs> here's electric sunrise
So yeah, there you heard it from the man himself. Uh, you heard Electric Sunrise. Uh, thanks a lot, Pliny, for your time. Thank it's you. Great to do this with you before the show. Have a great show. Any final words you have for our listeners? Um, thanks for listening, and I hope I can keep coming back to India because it's awesome. Horns up. So that was our conversation with Pliny. Lovely way to cap off what was a grueling week, but a week that we can't really complain about at all. I'm not complaining at all, man. <laughs> I mean, it's very rare that you get to kind of hang out with musicians of their caliber and like back to back. And then, you know, plus Control All Delete where you saw a lot of Indian talent uh, perform. So, yeah, not complaining. Yeah. So, Control All Delete, that's actually going to be our next episode. We aren't really talking about Control All Delete, but we did try out a pretty new format there. And tell you what, I won't talk a lot about it. Just tune in next week and check it out for yourselves. It features Pantera and it features Cowboys from Hell. That's all we're telling you. Yeah. So keep your ears peeled out for that one. Till then, you can subscribe to Horns Up on any device or any platform you choose to listen to podcasts on. Come on, show us some love. Give us some ratings. Give us some reviews. You can tell how much the Devin Townsend gig and all the other gigs has mellowed me out, right? I'm asking people to show us some love this time. <laughs> it's all your heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably it is. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> subscribe to us, leave us a rating, tell us what you think about us. We are still shit. Uh, that's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and any other platform you choose to listen to podcasts on. If you feel like talking to us for whatever reason, fanboying is always welcome. Uh, you can check us out on Twitter. We are at Pod. I'm Trend Crusher. And I'm Asmo Ani. And till next time. Horns up. Horns up.